Hello, listeners, and welcome to the 44th episode of the Always Drive podcast, your weekly look at the latest news from the car, truck, and motorcycle industries, where we take everything but ourselves seriously. I'm your host, Devlin Riggs, and I'm going to start off with an apology this week. I'm sorry because I had something really fun and special planned for you this week, something musical, um, which would either delight or disgust you, depending on your opinion of my own particular brand of music comedy. Um, but yesterday, every everything sort of went to shit um, in a number of ways, uh, some of them quite literal. Um, first in the morning, one of our cats, uh, we have two, da- two dogs and two cats um, in a vain attempt to uh, provide harmony to our pet universe. Um, one of our cats has been having kidney issues and heart troubles and uh, has lost some weight from not even eat, eating, and my wife took him to the vet in her Ford Fusion Energy. Um, undoubtedly traumatized by the experience there, um, the cat does absolutely nobody a favor and spends the ride back home from the vet shitting himself and then freaking out and then jumping all over in his shit, um, which fortunately was confined to the crate in which he was being transported. And people, if you do not transport your pet in crates, not only are you asking for shit all over your seats and carpets, it's extremely dangerous for animals if you get into a wreck and they go flying. Speaking of wrecks, that's where the evening comes in. You know, I mean, you have your country club to go play your golf because where do you play nice golf? Well, you have to go to the little play. And I don't know golf. I'm going to get half this wrong. But you go to the place where you can just do the walk up, okay? Which isn't typically as nice, but hey, I'm going to go pay. That screeching, crunching, expletive explosion you just heard was the audio captured by my Yi dashboard camera as I was T-boned while driving through a green light on my way home from work last night. Um, I really pride myself on being able to anticipate other drivers and having a great situational awareness, but I honestly did not see the impact coming at all. Uh, You may have noticed towards the end of the clip that you hear me laugh, or at least I think that's me and not the episode of Everyday Driver podcast I was listening to, but... Uh, apart from the fact that it makes me sound sort of like I've lost my mind, which I may have, um, I think it's because a driver had just run the red light going eastbound on the road I was crossing. There are three lanes going eastbound and only one lane going westbound, so I was looking to my left to make sure nobody else was going to run through that light and hit me, and then, pow, I'm hit by someone in the only lane going westbound. And this wasn't some sort of light turns green and I gun it sort of thing. The eastbound driver blew the light a second after it turned red, and I waited until I saw that the others going that way had stopped. By the time I got hit, the light had been green for me for at least five or six seconds, and the guy who hit me offered no explanation for why he wasn't paying attention to the light. He did, however, to his credit, admit fault to both me and the police and our insurance companies today, and apologized to me. And, I mean, I know he didn't mean to do it. His 2010 escape is just as messed up as, as the Mazda is, and his wouldn't even start afterwards. And, and mine, I could roll to the side of the road. Fortunately, he and I are both okay. I got a knock on the knee, and I'm, I'm a bit sore today in my back and neck, but I don't really anticipate any lasting effects of it. It might have been a different story if he'd hit me on my driver's side or if I'd had somebody in my passenger side seat. Uh, I'm waiting to hear about whether or not the car is totaled, uh, but it took a really 
really big hit. He was probably going 35, 40 miles an hour and just was not paying attention. Um, I would be more surprised if they try to fix a, a five-year-old Mazda with 85,000 miles on it, but we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, because they say bad things come in threes, so naturally the universe had to just bend us over a barrel and show us the 50 states yesterday uh, when we got home after my wife picked me up from the police station where I was taken after my car was towed. We got home, raised the garage door, and went inside, closing the doors we entered our house. After a couple of bangs and squeaks, we rushed out back into the garage to find the door had managed to detach itself from the track on four of the eight rollers and was just sort of perilously hanging there, unable to be lifted or lowered. But this is where our, our luck started to change a little bit. Uh, we have uh, amazing neighbors. Honestly, my wife and I, we feel like we won the neighborhood lottery. Um, next door, there's a contractor and his son, who's a small engine certified mechanic and has already helped me out with a few things I couldn't figure out myself. Uh, one of his best friends and someone I talk to frequently uh, when he's over around uh, about trucks um, is, honest to God, an overhead door repair technician. And he was over in 15 minutes, and in 30 minutes we had the door closed and back on the track, or, or, or mostly on the track. It's not totally fixed yet, but should be soon, and it's no longer an invitation for uh, people to rob us of all our shit in our garage overnight. So um, if you guys are listening, uh, thank you to Nick and Grant, Garrett. Uh, you guys are awesome, and uh, we could not have gotten that door down without you. Uh, definitely, definitely could not have done that. But yeah, yesterday was kind of a, black, a bag of flaming shit and uh, kept me from recording something cool for you guys. Uh, so I hope you like hearing about me this week, uh, a lot more than I do at least, because that's what our top story is all about. As much as it sucks to have gone through, uh, the wreck yesterday did, uh, give me something to talk about today, which is the next chapter in my automotive life. Honestly, I'm... I'm really not mentally prepared to turn the page on my last chapter. Sure, the Mazda 3 hatchback had some serious drawbacks, um, but it, it's genuinely a good, good all-around car, and I had pretty much stopped looking at cars to replace it and was instead focusing on cars to complement it, cars to give me the, the speed and handling and, and fun driving experience I couldn't get out of the Mazda while the hatchback could serve as my daily driver and gro- grocery getter. Um, I was hoping to drive that car until the wheels fell off of it, or at least until 2020 when some mainstream electric cars had come to the market and I would uh, they'd make a compelling replacement for a commuting car. Um, it may still end up that way. As I mentioned, I don't, I don't know what the insurance company is going to do about the car. They could decide it's worth fixing, and then my problem's solved, and I resume the status quo. Honestly, if they total it I'm going to get next to no money and, and nowhere near the value uh, that the car actually brought to my to my life and to to my <laughs> my commute. Uh, so so this is still my preference to get the Mazda back. But for the sake of argument or, and for the sake of the show, let's play Who Wants to Be My Next Car Yonaire? Okay, before we get started with the contestants, let's establish some basic rules for this game. 
First and foremost, I think the car has to be interesting or special in some way because that's my main gripe with the Mazda. It's pretty good at everything, but it's not great and I'd like the next car to be compelling to drive. Second, since I'm a semi-professional photographer, it has to be able to haul my camera gear, which includes some large bags and cases. Sedans could fit it either in a large trunk or back seat, but it might be tight. Third, speed. I need more power out of this car than I had in the Mazda. I wanted to put a smile on my face when I put the pedal to the floor. Fourth, reliability is key because in a daily driver, I need to get to my real job and to my responsibilities as an adult. Project cars are fun, but not to deal with every day. Those are the main desires. Bonus points are given for high fuel efficiency, which will be tough given the speed request, a third row of seats, and for being a special edition of an otherwise boring car, basically a sleeper. Let's get started with contestant one. Contestant one, Mazda CX-9. This is the safe choice. The 2016 model is drastically improved over its predecessor, offers tastefully sharp styling, a pretty rewarding ride and decent handling, and fairly good power from a four-cylinder Skyactiv turbo engine. It gets bonus points for having a third row of seats, which is great for winery trips or hauling other people's children to be eaten by German fairy tale grandparents. Points are deducted for being not especially interesting or special in any way. Contestant 2, Toyota 4Runner. It's no secret I've been a fan of 4Runners for a long time, and the rugged utility would be nice on lake weekends or for home renovation projects, which is seems to be basically the only thing I do anymore outside of work and this podcast. The styling of the most recent generations isn't great in my opinion, and the power from the 4-liter V6 is okay, but it definitely loses points for speed, handling, and enjoyment to drive, but gains points for optional third row and off-road capabilities which I might make more use of if I had them. Contestant 3, Toyota Tacoma. Like the 4Runner, I've been a fan of the indestructible Hilux or Tacoma for a long time, and that store of nostalgia and brand loyalty played strongly in the inclusion of both of them in this game. The 2016 model introduced some great changes to the Tacoma in a nicer interior, more aggressive styling, and a bunch of handy features that pickup enthusiasts understand way better than I do. Again, points are gained for utility, but no third row seat, and lost for ride, handling, and speed. But reliability and resale value of both of these trucks is absolutely off the charts. So if it turns out in two years down the road I'm ready to be back in a fast car, I won't lose much when it comes time to sell. Contestant 4, Lexus IS350. It's not the ISF because I've checked prices and those are well out of the range of feasibility, but the IS350 is no slouch. It's quick, it's reasonably nimble, and it's a nice, comfortable place to be inside. It's crazy reliable, but not especially interesting, and recent model years have become afflicted with Lexus face, which sort of looks like cyborgs mated with aliens from Predator, but also with Lightning McQueen from Cars, and the outcome was, well, not good. Interior space is also apparently cramped, so fitting all my stuff may be a challenge. Contestant 5, Infiniti Q50. This is the successor to the G35 and G37 sedans and retains the 3.7-liter V6 that makes my heart skip a beat when I hear it. There's no question that nostalgia plays into this because I miss my G35 coupe so badly. But is it a good idea to go forwards while going back? Speed, handling, and reliability are all checked, but the Q50 is fairly ubiquitous on the roads these days, so it's not very interesting or special. I know how that smile is going to crack across my face when I punch it, though, and I love hearing that exhaust note. 
Contestant 6, Infinity FX50. I've talked about this on a podcast before. Nissan basically took the G35 platform, stretched it a bit, put a larger wagon body on it, lifted it a few inches, and threw out the V6, replacing it with their biggest engine, a 5-liter V8. At almost 400 horsepower, this is the most excessively fast on this list, and the S model has rear-wheel steering and active dampening, so sharp handling and fun to drive are definitely in the yes camp. I've also heard many positive things about the long-term reliability of the V8, and it has more cargo space than the Mazda, albeit barely, so it's fairly practical. It definitely loses points due to fuel consumption, but gains them because it's interesting and special. Contestant 7, Acura TSX Sportwagon. I looked at these when I got the Mazda and really liked them, but they were slightly out of my price range. Five years later, and guess what? They're in my price range. Go figure. They're totally practical, totally reliable, somewhat rare because they didn't sell very well in the States because they were released before the wagon renaissance, but also without Acura's lovely V6. All that weight has to cope with 200 horsepower four-cylinder, and it does pretty well. It's not fast, but it's not slow, and it handles well for having a big body. I liked it a lot when I drove it before, and that probably won't change, but will it put as big a smile on my face? And that's all for the contestants. Or is it? Contestant 8. It's long. It's sleek. It's Swedish. It's the Volvo V60 T6R design. It's 325 horsepower and 354 pound-feet of Nordic fury, but packaged in an unassuming estate car. Powerful enough with its turbocharged straight-six to put a smile on my face, and practical enough to haul all my photography gear doing it. The interior may look like it's from 2006, but coming from a Mazda, almost anything is a step up. Reliability on newer Volvos is somewhat questionable. They're not as bulletproof as they used to be, and it's not the Polestar version that is completely mental, but I think the T6R design is still pretty special. Could it steal this gearhead's heart? Find out in the next episode of Who Wants to Be My Next Car Yonaire. All right, time for some headlines. And were you guys getting a little bit tired of that uh, mid-roll sound effect throughout that last bit? I I think if you go back and watch the show, you'll realize that they use those sort of sound effects all the time. And it's only so much more obnoxious when you hear it in such rapid succession like I played it. But it, it's I, I tried to remain true to the show. Anyway, here are your headlines. Um, after all the numbers came in for 2017, overall vehicle sales were down 1.8% over 2016, which marks the first decline in seven years. And unfortunately for car makers, there's no real end in sight. That is, unless you're a supercar manufacturer, because Aston Martin and McLaren both recorded their biggest sales ever in 2017, because the rich are just so stinking rich these days. Anyway, during the recession, people held on to their cars longer, and because they couldn't afford to replace them, uh, this meant stiffer competition among automakers for these sales that were occurring. So they worked hard to make their cars more appealing, more reliable, and safer. 
When the economy finally bounced back, people spent the next seven years getting rid of their old vehicles and upgrading to newer, better cars. And the reports bear this out. Cars these days are safer, more reliable, and more satisfying than ever before, so people are just keeping them for longer, leading to sales decline. Sure, you'll still have incidents where people blow through red lights and total cars, thereby generating a certain amount of reluctant sales. Ugh, no, no, you know. Ugh, whatever. Um, there are already 1.26 vehicles on the road for every one licensed driver, meaning either we have a shit ton of unlicensed drivers out there, or people just have plenty of cars. And, and that's what the industry experts are thinking. We, we've reached peak car, where we'll back off to a stable replacement level of sales each year. Plus, as interest rates rise, people aren't going to want to take out loans for new cars, so auto, how will automakers cope with a shrinking pie from which to get slices? Will they keep innovating as they did during the recession to attract a larger share of a smaller pie? Or will they collectively start making their products less reliable so they go bad at certain pre-described points, forcing owners to upgrade? Um, this, of course, is what we would call the iPhone sales tactic. Uh, sorry, I'm an Android user. On the heels of the sales report, leasing, though, looks like it's going gangbusters. About 31% of all new vehicle sales are leases in the U.S., but if you look at plug-in hybrids, the number jumps to 55% of all sales. And then there's pure electric vehicles. 80% of all EV sales are leases, which is crazy. Almost all people want to essentially rent these cars for a few years, and Bloomberg is reporting that a major cause of this is the overall sense among consumers that electric vehicles are going to just keep getting better and better than they are right now, so they don't want to be locked into obsolete technology in a few years' time. Plus, the resale value of EVs of cur uh, is currently really, really poor, so purchasing one outright just doesn't make any sense uh, apart from those 20% of people who bought them outright. Uh, enjoy your Nissan Leafs, people. Um... Of course, those EVs may start to look more attractive this year, as the 2018 fuel price outlook suggests that gas prices could peak at just less than $3 per gallon. Gas Buddy is predicting that the national average of a price of gas will rise $0.19 cents this year to around $2.57 per gallon, which is still not that bad, especially when you look at the rest of the world. But combine that with a drop in fuel efficiency we saw among new car purchases last year, and Gas Buddy predicts that the average household will spend $1,898 on fuel this year, and that's $133 more than last year, which is the cost of at least two nice taco dinners. And I cast shame upon the evil oil spectators behind this rise because nothing should stand between us and nice taco dinners. Meanwhile, in California, the land of the future, a bill has been introduced to the state legislature that would ban the sale of new cars and trucks powered by gasoline or diesel fuels by the year 2040. If you've been tuning into this show for a while, thank you, and you'll know that 2040 is also a deadline set by Paris, London, and a few other cities or countries, with some even having more aggressive targets for pollution reduction. They estimate that the measure, if it's adopted, would cut greenhouse gas emissions by 80% from 1990 levels in just 10 years. We'll have to see how they end up voting, but I bet there are going to be some very busy lobbyists in Sacramento this week. 
Um, Mazda this week also filed a patent for some technology that's both innovative and, and, and pretty creepy. It's apparently all in an effort to thwart distracted or drowsy driving. Basically, there is a camera or series of cameras, I'm not sure exactly how it works, set up inside the car, pointed at the driver, and the car's computer uses the driver's eyes and expression to determine if the driver is paying attention and engaged with the drive that, that they're going on. Uh, if it determines that the driver is busy checking texts or Facebook or dozing off, the car will apparently respond by doing anything from simple sounds and visual prompts to changing the navigation system uh, to route the driver to a more fun-looking road to drive. Uh, if the driver looks like he or she is having fun and is entertained by the route, the computer will store that route for later reference. So basically, Mazda is going to try to find all the cool roads in the world and fill them with CX-9s because drivers can't put their stupid phones down. And speaking of creepy, Nissan is taking it to the next level, though, with their new brain-to-vehicle system, which they will be showing off uh, this coming week at the Consumer Electronics Show, which is increasingly becoming a car show. Uh, apparently, drivers are fitted with a skull cap that monitors brainwave activity and transmits signal to steering, acceleration, and braking systems that can respond before the driver even moves his hands or feet. His or her hands or feet, I should say. Um, the driver still actually makes the car do things, but the car just anticipates what's going to happen and can start things milliseconds sooner. Apparently, this is just meant to enhance the driving pleasure when it seems to me it's just cheaper to make cars go faster and more responsive than to dump time and research into brainwave monitoring. Uh, but hey, they're making money like crazy selling these Nissan Rogues to people, so I guess they can do what they want. Uh, meanwhile, a Tesla earnings call this week managed to once again unveil the woeful underperformance of the company uh, in, in meeting the goals its founder sets for it. Rather than churning out a few thousand Model 3s per week, as predicted earlier this year, Tesla's highest number yet was less than 800 and let's be honest making almost 100 cars a day is uh, no more than 100 cars a day is still a super achievement and they're ramping up effectively the problem comes when the founder is all about bluster and getting to 5,000 cars per week by the end of q1 2018 uh, which by the way has been pushed back to the end of the q2 2018 um, Tesla's stock took a hit after the announcement, which was, for once, not accompanied by some other shiny thing to distract investors from the problems going on. Uh, Tesla has a big year coming up with the launch of their semi-truck and the Model Y, but it's critical that they get their shit figured out quick, or buyers are going to start figuring out that, hey, that Chevy Bolt is a pretty nice car, and uh, I can go buy one right now. On Sunday night this last week, a parking garage in Liverpool, England, resembled the gates of hell as a raging inferno engulfed 1,400 vehicles. Fortunately, no one was injured, and surprisingly, the fire wasn't started by an Italian supercar. Uh, rather, it was started by friendly fire coming from a Land Rover, uh, of course, vehicles not known for their wiring or electronics excellence. Uh, the fire really is something to behold, though, so I encourage you to look up the video. The fuel in the cars just fed the fire until it was just completely unconquerable by the local fire brigade. 
meaning they couldn't stop it spreading to other cars, sort of like an automotive herpes that, instead of itching, just creates a huge insurance hassle for thousands of people. Um, a British Volkswagen golf driver learned the hard way how squirrels are just rats with fluffy tails last month. Apparently, he parked his car outside his girlfriend's dad's home near London and then left with his girlfriend for a month to tour Southeast Asia. During that time, apparently several squirrels decided that um, uh, Volkswagen does actually make a really comfy car and began calling the place home, storing acorns in every conceivable place throughout the vehicle that they could access. The glove box, the engine bay, even the, the transmission, the gearbox was, was packed and the owner found it tough to shift when he returned home. A cleanup and disposal of hundreds of perfectly good acorns that would feed families of the little bastards throughout the winter cost the driver 230 pounds, which is not a small sum, especially coming back from vacation. In other food-related automotive antics, a driver in Texas got off with a warning this week when he was pulled over for a minor traffic violation. Apparently, prior to departing, he placed a hot dog on the rear bumper of his Chevy Silverado and taped a piece of paper with free hot dog written on it above. Uh, he then proceeded to drive from Waco, Texas, to Brownwood and back, a journey of more than 120 miles before being stopped, and the hot dog and on sign were still there. Uh, now, if you're me, you think this is like the adult equivalent of free candy written on the side of a seedy-looking van, but if you're a Brown County Sheriff's Department officer, apparently you just think this he's a funny dude and you should let him be on his way. Uh, I figure it's only a matter of time before witness reports roll in about bodies being found in the back of a white pickup with hot dog residue on the bumper. Anyway, um, you may or may not be aware, but New Jersey and Oregon both require full-service uh, gas stations, or at least they did. Oregon has started allowing rural stations to permit self-service, you know, the, the same kind of gas we have literally everywhere else in the country. Well, apparently people are freaking out about it and don't know how to pump their own gas and are afraid that they'll either burn the whole place down or smell like gasoline the rest of the day. I, I get that. If you grew up not doing it, then you may not know how to pump gas, but I fail to believe that people never watched an attendant do it for them, and I have absolutely zero sympathy for these pampered brats kicking and screaming to get the good old times back. This really just seems like a Portlandia sketch in real life, but uh, apparently that's just how the state of Oregon is in actuality. They aren't the only place suffering, though. Do you love black cars? Do you live in Ashgabat, Turkmenistan? Well, tough luck, your car has just been banned because the president of the oppressive country has decided that they are bad luck and must be impounded or repainted at the owner's expense. And I do mean expense, because it's a very poor country, and the people there can absolutely not afford to repaint their cars just because their president is a nut job. Sorry, Turkmenistan... Turkmenistanians? Stanites? Sorry, people of Turkmenistan. Now let's look at some new car news. Brand new, brand new, brand new. I don't like it unless brand new. you might see me in my... Brand new. Well, with my... 
First up in new car news is actually the cancellation of a new car, or at least a new design. Uh, in a letter to suppliers this week, Ford announced that they are canceling the planned redesign of the Ford Fusion, which was scheduled for a 2020 launch. While this doesn't mean that the Fusion itself has been discontinued and doesn't rule out a major change coming later, this does look pretty bad given the troubles brands have had selling mid-sized sedans this past year, especially this past year. Um, buyers just want SUVs, trucks, and crossovers anymore, and while Fusion sales have been going okay, uh, particularly to, to fleets, um, Ford apparently doesn't see the value in spending time and money refreshing a car that it's only been around for five years and remains honestly one of the best-looking cars in its class. Um, <clears throat> that or this is evidence that we need to show uh, that Ford is all a part of the massive marijuana smuggling scheme from where the fusions roll off the line in Mexico. Do you remember these stories? Twice, Ford fusions have been found with the spare tire well packed to the brim with weed awaiting receipt by a distributor in the U.S. only to be discovered by so-called innocent car buyers. Sure, Ford, I'm on to you. And while Ford forgoes redesigns of its cars, Audi has decided that the utter lack of creativity of their own cars needs to be changed. And if you're like me, uh, you've probably sat in traffic admiring an Audi and thought, oh, that's, that's a really nice-looking S6. Or, or A8? No? A4? RS4? Shit. Um, that's apparently pretty common. According to an interview with Autocar, CEO Rupert Stadler said that the similarity between models was used to make Audis more recognizable in emerging markets, which they say has worked swimmingly, and now they're free to spend money and uh, be creative again. Mark Lichty, uh, Audi's chief designer, was uh, quoted uh, saying something along the lines of, Oh, thank God, Jesus in heaven, I'm bored to death over here, and I only have rulers on this drafting table. Um, new designs should start rolling out in March or April of this year. So uh, that's about it for this week. I know I spent a lot of the uh, first part of the episode talking about um, my car situation, so I hope I did so in a uh, somewhat entertaining format. Um, we're coming up on uh, one year of uh, this podcast next week, so I'm hoping to uh, uh, do my uh, special musical thing uh, coming around next Thursday. Uh, for this week's call to action, I, I just want to encourage everyone to drive safe. Uh, it's a crazy world out there with crazy drivers, and the Northeast is getting a crazy snowstorm. So let's all bring a bit more sanity to the roadways. Uh, I know I got lucky not being seriously injured in my own wreck, but many other people are not as lucky as I got. So uh, the safer we can make the road, the better. Uh, thank you for listening this week, and thanks to Nicholas Falcon for our intro song. Since I finally got my rental car to drive uh, this evening until the insurance company figures out what to do with my Mazda, here's a glimpse at something sort of like what I'm driving now. Um, and you get a free shout-out on air next week if you guess what it is correctly. So here, friends, is your moment of zen. Zen. <laughs>